Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. Uh, you know, today is, is a great day, um, but I call this the Super Bowl of who cares? Unless, unless you are a Schaefer. And we have a whole row of Atlanta Falcon fans right here. Because they happen to be... Yeah, Oh, okay, okay, well, I don't want to start a war here, uh, but truly, yeah, so that's why Cameron is donning his Atlanta Falcons hat, so whatever, anyway, <clears throat> but I also want to give uh, just some attention to Miss Faith Winchell, uh, who uh, wrote that song, Nail Pierced Hands, that we sang this morning. Was that a fantastic song or what? So I'm really proud of you, girl. And she's got a lot of songs that are coming. And uh, so um, I've always encouraged our, our music team, our worship team, to write your own stuff so we have our own uh, house sound. I love that. I believe in that. And so uh, just encourage her in that. And you've got so many more songs that are being birthed in your life. I mean, it's going to change the world. Amen. And bless the church. So let's go. We've, we're beginning our series today called The Ten Commandments of Ignorance. The Ten Commandments of Ignorance. And what we're going to do for the next few weeks is walk through different scriptures where most of these are going to be coming to us from the Apostle Paul when it comes to ignorance and what we should not be ignorant of or unaware of. God has brought us information. He's brought us revelation so that we can live our lives knowing we can live our lives living in the wisdom of God, living our lives with our eyes open, with the right kind of perspective on God, life, each other, the world, everything. And so he comes to us with these different admonitions throughout Scripture so that we take notice here and park ourselves here to look into this and say, okay, this is knowledge that I need. You know, I heard Steve Bolden say this, <laughs> this morning, he said, ignorance can be cured. Stupidity not so much, but uh, ignorance can, can be cured, and it comes through the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So God has brought us this wisdom through his scripture, and so today we're going to look at a couple of, uh, of these commandments, and we're going to first look in Romans chapter 1 and start in verse 11. Everybody good? All right, so good to see you here. Oh, by the way, just so uh, you, obviously you see that somebody's missing here today, and uh, my beautiful bride is, is uh, not here. Matter of fact, she's in China. She is in, Be I mean, not Beijing, but where is she? Shanghai, yeah. <laughs> Shanghai, they know where she is. I don't know where she is. Shanghai, China with... Um, Virginie Garner, David's, David's wife, and Virginie, you know, our local Frenchie here that we have in our church, our uh, foreign exchange member, and um, she has three brothers, and they're kind of having a mini reunion. A couple of them work for an airline, and so they're in China a lot, and they found that it was a lot cheaper for them to actually meet there, and so Virginie asked Heather, would you please go with me and be my companion? So my wife, who's always up for an adventure, said, sure. But I said, honey, you understand that that impacts you being gone, impacts me, the kids, the church. I mean, it's like that you're not even thinking about any of that. Uh, so 
obviously, as we're working through this order of service, I just, today, I just tremendously miss her uh, and realize just what she does for us and what she does for me personally, that usually as the pastor, I can come and just preach and teach the word and love on you, and she takes care of all the other stuff. So it's a headache to do all that other stuff, I realize, and I certainly appreciate it. Certainly appreciate it. But Alex is doing a fine job, isn't he? He's doing a great job today, so appreciate you. And, and then Jeremiah, uh, Pastor Jeremiah and Maddie are in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And uh, Jeremiah's grandfather has been having some health issues, so um, he needed to be there with his family this weekend to see his grandfather and to just minister to his family. They've just, you know, they've been struggling. They've been uh, having a diff- real difficult time with this with this deal with his grandfather. It's just been a, a, a fight. And so I told Jeremiah, I said, they need to hear you. They need to hear from me. They need to hear you open your mouth and confess the word of God. They need to hear that faith come out of you. And so um, that's where they are. So we bless them in Jesus' name. And, uh, yes. Yes. and I'm grateful for all these able ministers that just step up and keep this ship going. So amen. Romans chapter 1, let's look at verse 11 today. <clears throat> For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith. Everybody say mutual faith. Both of you and me, verse 13. Now, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, see that, often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. This first um, thing that we are admonished not to be ignorant in is this. If you're taking notes, uh, I want to give you this truth. Do not be ignorant of the necessity of believers being together in regular fellowship. Do not be ignorant of the necessity of believers being together in regular fellowship. Hebrews puts it this way, do do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the manner of some. Now, Hebrews wasn't written that long after um, Christ had come to earth and and was resurrected. I mean, it it was within 100 years of that. And yet, already there were believers who had a manner where they were not regularly meeting together. They'd already begun to pull away from that. And he says, don't forsake the assembling yourselves together, as is the manner of some, but all the more as you see the day approaching. Admonish one another in this. Encourage one another. Stir one another up in good works and say, hey, listen, don't grow weary in doing this. This is the good thing in your life. This is the thing that's establishing you. This is the thing that's encouraging you. This is where you see when we gather together the effect of the Word of God in your life. It's so vital for us as Christians to have this moment on a regular basis. You know, even Jesus Christ himself, the scripture says that he went to the synagogue as was his custom. He made it a regular habit even in his own life while he walked the earth to be in the house of God together with people. I love that. So um, we we see from this, from this, this, these few verses, it says that so that, that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. Now, I know my own personal experience in church, which has basically been all my life I've been in church, and, but I have found that very thing to be so true in my personal walk, that I have, it has kept me grounded. The gathering of God's people has kept me grounded. 
when, 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 when I wasn't acting grounded. You know what I'm talking about? Hmm? Now, I know it's hard for you to believe that a pastor's kid would ever act up. But it happens. But knowing that I was going to be in church at least every Sunday, I couldn't go very far. I couldn't stray very far because Sunday was coming around again. You know, that had been so embedded in me and I'd been rooted already in the house. I wasn't, I wasn't going to not be there. Now, now, sometimes me being there was simply out of obligation or duty. I'll admit to you, that's, that's true. But once I got there, I found out, man, this is really helping me. I'm re- I don't think I've ever regretted one time that I gathered with God's people in the house of God. I can't think of one time where it did me great harm and damage. It's always been enriching to me. You know, I, it's, it's, it's in this place that I, I married my wife. I, I, I said the, made the greatest promises to her, made a covenant with her in marriage. That happened in the house of God. When people were gathered together, I dedicated all of my children right there in the house of God, in that gathering. I was filled with the Holy Spirit in that gathering. I was saved in that gathering. You see what I mean? But my life, and I think many of you can have the same story, is established in this gathering. And so as you come, these gifts from God are, are distributed various ways through, through preaching the word, through just us loving one another, speaking to one another, and, and encouraging one another, all those kinds of things. It's God distributing gifts. And through those gifts, we open up our lives to his life and to his goodness, and it helps us grow stronger. It helps our roots go down. And the scripture says that those who are planted in the house of God will flourish. All right? This is, this is so good. And then the next thing he says, look at verse 12. Uh, verse 12 of Romans. That is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. That word encouraged there literally means strengthened or comforted. How? By the mutual faith of you and me. One thing I think is that maybe we, we, we might overlook from time to time is just the importance of having mutual faith. And it's not, you don't really appreciate that until you find yourself alone in what you believe. Hmm? When, when, when you're kind of backed into a corner by someone who's de- wanting to, to debate what you believe, and, and it's in that moment you go, ooh, this is not fun by myself. But when you come into the house of God, it's a whole different experience. You talk to people who believe like you do, who praise like you do, Amen. right? Who, who love like you do, who, who see life in God and experience Him like you do. You know, when I was, uh, <clears throat> I think it was in, in the eighth grade, it was in the eighth grade, it was somewhere around 1985. If you want to start calculating my age, go for it, but I'm 45. Anyway, uh, just to save you time, I, I was going to this uh, little Christian school in San Angelo, and me and uh, our guitar player, Stephen, were in school there together. And in this school, we, we worked, and the, the system that we worked in was called a pace system, where we worked in these little workbooks called paces, and, and you worked at your own pace, and it had the different subjects, math and English and social studies and those kinds of things. And we had to set goals every day for what pages we were going to work on in each book, and then once you set, you accomplished your goal, you crossed it off, and, which I did terrible in that kind of system. I'm not a goal setter, hardly at all. So I would, I mean, I'd write them up there and be like, Pfft. Whatever. But for some reason, this day, this day, I finished my, 
all my goals. I accomplished all my goals, and, and I was done early, and so the teacher said, well, go over to the little library there and grab a book to read since you're done with all your work. Oh, really? More work? Okay. So I went and found this book, and, and one stood out to me, and the other ones were like kind of history books and that kind of stuff, but then I saw one just, just by the, the writing on the end of it that said, Orange Crush Defense. And so I was like, what is that? And I opened it up, and it was about the late 70s and early 80s Denver Broncos defense. And when I read that book, I fell in love with that team just by reading that book. Now, let me tell you something. I was raised in John Holler's house where this rule in his house was something like a stance that Joshua made in Joshua chapter 24, which was, as for me and my house, we will root for the Dallas Cowboys. All right? I mean, that was it. And, we were, and I'm a Cowboy fan. I still love them to this day. But, but somebody else has taken first place in my heart. They are right now the reigning Super Bowl champions. Just want to remind y'all, everybody here, they are still. Until that Lombardi trophy gets handed off to one of these other teams today, right now we're still the reigning champs. So I'm just enjoying these last few moments until we become a has-been. <laughs> we're just teetering on the edge. Um, but so I've liked the, the Denver Broncos, but being in Texas and being in cowboy country, kind of alone in rooting for the orange and the blue, unless I'm around Scott Von Stroh. But, <laughs> but in 2010, Heather and I made a trip with Brandon and Sarah Marshall to Denver. And Brandon wanted to do something for me. It was a very kind gesture. Uh, and that is to for me to experience being at Mile High Stadium. We went skiing for a day or two. That was, uh, that was an adventure. Let me just say, I was entertained watching that guy ski. <laughs> it was, we all were pretty much entertained. I really enjoyed that. No, we had a lot of fun there. And then we had tickets to see the Denver Broncos play the Kansas City Chiefs. Wherewith, I will say, the Kansas City Chiefs stomped a mud hole in Denver. But the truth was, I didn't care. It was something, it was a greater, there was a greater thing happening. And that was, we were pulling into the parking lot. I look around me, and all you see is orange and blue everywhere. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was home. <laughs> These people are rooting for the same team I'm rooting for. I don't have to explain why I root for the Denver Broncos here and go into all that. They all understand why I'm rooting for the Denver Broncos. When you come into the house of God, see, it's that mutual faith that encourages you. It's that mutual faith where you say, I'm home. Hallelujah. You believe like I do. Hallelujah. Thank you. I'm not having this thing all by myself. This is where you find that, that encouragement to say, whew, we're all in this thing together. And though you might feel alone from time to time out there and feel like you have to defend yourself and, and explain yourself, but here in this place, this is a safe zone for mutual Paul said, this is where we're encouraged, this is where we're strengthened, this is where we're comforted, so that whenever you go out into that world tomorrow, you go ready, you go encouraged, you go hopeful, because you know that there are other believers of like faith. And this, this, this last thing, it says that I may, look, look at verse 13, <clears throat> excuse me for a moment, verse 13, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you. It does my heart good as your pastor to see the Word of God at work in your life, to see the effect of it, 
through your service here, through your, your excitement here, through your attendance here, through your giving, through your encouraging words, through watching you just love and, and on one another and to, to see that fellowship, that does my heart good. The fact that you even come back, that does my heart really good. But really, to see and to hear from you, to hear reports from you, I hear from you from time to time. I love when you share with me what God is doing in your life. We see that, that this is not something that you're just hearing, you're experiencing it. You're experiencing the power of this word. This living word is living in you. That's important. And that we are able to help one another see that too and to share with one another what God's doing in our life. To say, hey, this thing is real. This is, this is way beyond a religion. This is a living, breathing, viable relationship with Almighty God Himself. I love that. Can I take you to one more place? Can I take you to one more place? Romans chapter 10. Do not be ignorant of the necessity of believers <clears throat> gathering together on a regular basis for, for regular fellowship. This next, this next truth I want to bring to you is found in Romans chapter 10 and verse 2. Start in verse 2, for I bear them witness. Now, Paul is talking about Israel. He's talking about his own people. He has a zeal for them. He said, I want my prayer to God and, and desire for Israel is that they may be saved. And he says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. All right, Paul's saying, they have what I once had. Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, who was extremely zealous for God, yet did not have the knowledge. So when he thought he was fighting for God, he found out he was actually fighting God himself. He said, this is where they are. Watch, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness. So there's a difference between God's righteousness and your righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Verse 4, here's where he makes his point. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. It all is found in Christ. He's the substance. He's the reason. He's the end of the law. He's the law fulfilled. Verse 5. Verse 5. I'll read it from here. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does those things shall live by them. That is, you perform. That's what that law is about. You performing, doing the right stuff. Okay? But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Oh, this is so good. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. In other words, what Paul is saying is saying, stop asking God to do something that he's already done. Stop looking for him to do something. He's already done. Jesus said, it is finished. This is where you have to believe in the finished work of God. That God did everything on his part, in his part in doing to save you. Now, here's the deal. Here's your part. Now, watch this. But what does it say? Verse 8, the word is near you, even in your, what? your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. In other words, you have what you need already. It's as near as your mouth and your heart. Steve was quoting the scripture this morning that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, 
that God has raised from the dead, you will be saved or you will be made righteous. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. So this isn't performing for righteousness. This is believing. The heart believes unto righteousness and with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. This next truth I want to get to you and the final one today is do not be ignorant of God's righteousness and how to receive it. Do not be ignorant, because there are so many, unfortunately, there's so many good, well-meaning, sincere people who are so ignorant of this truth, who are simply trying to do their best, trying to perform their best out of a, out of a guilty conscience, out of a, just a desire. They know that they need to do something, just maybe just out of the awareness that God is there, and hopefully that uh, when, when all is said, and their whole life is summed up that hopefully that God will see more good than he'll see bad. And none of that attains to the true righteousness of God, the only acceptable righteousness. Let me just give you the definition of righteousness here from the, from the Scripture definition. It says, it, righteousness is the state of him who is as he ought to be. Righteousness, the condition acceptable to God. Did you hear that? It said the condition, not the action. Your problem, our problem as mankind was not that, that we were performing so poorly. It was that we were broken. We were made sinners, not because we sinned, but because we were born, because of one other man. One man sinned and death came to all of us. All of us were credited as sinners because of one man's sin. So you could live your entire life and not commit one sin and still not be righteous. A sinner is not made righteous because he stopped sinning. A sinner is made righteous because he believes on Jesus, who became sin for us. He believes that gospel that says Christ died. What are the, real, what are the three essential words here in the gospel? We talked about this a week or two ago. It's not that Christ died on a cross, he was buried, he rose from the dead. For our sins. That's the essence of the gospel. Christ died for our sins. That's what makes God a very personal God to us. He doesn't just shout some message at us and force us to believe that. No, he connects it. He said, I did this for you. And there was an exchange that happened there. I became sin so that you could become righteousness. So that I, my, my condition, I became, you see, Jesus didn't become a sinner. He became sin, the very condition, so that your sinful condition could change to a righteous condition. Praise God. That's it. And that's what he came to help. That is the, the state of being in a right relationship with God. And you cannot perform for it. You can't work for it. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but by his own mercy, he saved us. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. But some things, religion and being religious, <laughs> Heather and I invited this guy to church the other day. We were at the um, Sprint store. I was having to exchange a phone. And I, I just invited him to church. And he said, oh, I haven't been to church and." probably nine years. I'm not a religious person. I said, you're perfect because we're not either. <laughs> he goes, what? I said, no, dude, we hate religion. You, you should totally come to our church. 
you'll see exactly what we're talking about. I mean, uh, because, I mean, that stuff is just garbage. We, we have an actual personal relationship with God. And he's like, really? Give me the information for your church. I'm hoping to see him in the very near future. So um, we do, because, because a religious system set in, that's what Adam's, Adam's, think about this, Adam started a religion called the fig leaf religion. As soon as he sinned, all of a sudden, <gasps> They're, ah, we're naked. Let's get some clothes. Get some leaves. <laughs> so they, they get these fig leaves and they make skirts or something. I don't know exactly how they did it, but they covered up their nakedness with these, with these fig leaves. Think about how ridiculous this is. These guys have fallen. I mean, the lights have gone out. They, they, they have now sinned and now death has come. And so they think, I know we can fix, we can fix this if we'll just make some skirts. <laughs> That's how unreasonable religion is, though. It's just ridiculous. So they're, they're sewing these fig leaves together. And I got I, something I learned from my dad, and you've probably heard him maybe talk about this. Um, and he made this acronym out of fig leaf that describes religion, all right? F, fear. It's that kind of thinking that dangling people over hell to scare them into the kingdom of God. Condemning people, manipulating people. Trying to scare them into heaven. They love scriptures like everlasting torment where the worm never dies. <laughs> and the fire is not quenched. Now, that's, all that's very true, but that's not our emphasis of the gospel. The gospel is all about him. The hell is a very real place. No doubt about it. Fear. I, insecurity. Insecure. That's what religion does. It keeps you insecure. doesn't give you re any real assurances. I was talking to some Jehovah's Witnesses one time. They came to my house, and their whole belief is that 144,000 people are going to make it to heaven. Think about this. So these guys are out knocking on doors. And every time they're knocking on doors and they're facing somebody and trying to convert them, they don't even realize it lessens their chances to be in that 144,000. I mean, the odds just keep being stacked against them. I'm like, why are you witnessing? What? <laughs> you realize what's happening here. Every time you win somebody, you lose. 144,000. Bless their hearts. And the thing is, none of them are Jews. And the 144,000 are spoken of in Revelation are Jews. It's going to be a high-opening experience. But insecurity, you, you, just ne you, never, you, never, you just never know in your position with God, you know? And hey, listen to me. It's not just Jehovah's Witnesses that are insecure. I'm talking about that happens in, I, I, it's sad to me to see it among spirit-filled people. People who love God, who know God, who, who don't feel assured, though. They don't have that assurance, and so they, 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 indeed, lean on their performance to help them feel good about assurance. Well, if I confess my sins every day, I'll make sure, I'll, you know, just, I'll just make sure. So you're trusting in you. No longer is your trust in Jesus, it's in you and your performance. 
See? Keeping you insecure. How about this? Guilt. Oh, boy. Nothing will make a person more religious than guilt. Going to make up for that bad, that bad feeling. That... Got to do something kind because of the wrong things I've done. I've got to undo that somehow. But it's that guilt that keeps, us, keeps you looking down upon yourself. And keep, See, here's the thing about religion. It's always telling you something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with you. You've got to fix that. Something's, something's wrong. How about this? L, legalism. These are sons acting like bastards. Legitimate sons acting like illegitimate sons. Taking on the form of a slave rather than a son. Acting like they're employees in the kingdom of God instead of sons in the house of God. It's a, it's, a, it's a terrible trap. How about this? And you like this word, ecumenicalism, or E. It just means denominations. Gathering around a set of beliefs in a sect of people. The problem with that is it minimizes you. It actually divides you. To where once you get into your set of beliefs, then you look at the rest of them and go, look at that guy. Can you believe they believe that? And so now, denominations have not brought nothing to the church but war and division. They have never, ever helped the body of Christ. They're not even in heaven. God's not going to have a Baptist section. Over, the Presbyterians are over here. The, the Catholics are over here. The Pentecostals, I mean, we're not going to be in sections like that. We're all the body of Christ. If they're not in heaven, how can they, in God's name, be His will on the earth? It's the greatest sin in the church. Way above pornography. Way above perversion. Way above drunkenness. Way above all of that stuff. Denominationalism is the worst sin on this earth. Because it divides us. And Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Hmm? How about this one? A, anti-Semitism. Those who disregard Israel and act like they're not important. Those who preach a gospel that says that God has thrown his children away. And that is not the truth at all. It's not the truth at all. Those that denigrate Jacob like he was some kind of thieving liar those who have a bent against Israel, against God's people. Listen, God is not through with his people. He made an everlasting covenant with them through Abraham. Now, we're in a time right now where Paul helps us understand that in, there's a blindness that has happened in part to Israel. Right now, they're not the emphasis. Right now, you're his emphasis. Right now, his eyes are on the church. And the, until the fullness of the Gentiles has taken place, that's, God's not going to finish what he needs to with Israel, just so you know that. But what do we do for Israel? We pray for them, and we bless them. I think the, the greatest success of our country has been our connection to Israel. It's why we've prospered so much. It really is, because we've made a friend of the people of God. And so that has prospered us and blessed us. And so we bless them. And, 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 but like I said, there is a time when it's going to fall. Like if you read the book of Revelation, that, most of that is God coming back to business to finish up what he needs to with Israel. We have very little part in that book except that number that no man could number that we're standing around the throne worshiping God. 
were there. Hallelujah. And lastly, formalism. This is where rituals replace relationship. That maybe at one time those rituals were enriching, but now they've just become a dead tradition. Why do we do this? I don't know. I don't know why we do it. My mom did it. My grandma, I don't know. I don't even know the meaning. This happens all the time in lots of ways. You replace relationships, saying empty prayers that mean nothing. Jesus said that's how the Pharisees are. They pray lots of prayers, repetitious prayers, over and over and over again. He said, don't be like them. Don't be like them. This is a relationship. Special robes, observances of holy days. It's all empty. Christ is the substance of it all. So remember that your righteousness, don't be ignorant of God's righteousness. His righteousness is revealed to us from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You'll never be made righteous any other way than through faith in Jesus. I love this scripture. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. It was no accident that Jesus Christ's garments were stripped from him. It's no accident that he hung naked on that cross. Why? Because he had to redeem naked and ashamed Adam. The last Adam came and they stripped him of his garments and there he hung, the sin center of the universe, all the shame and guilt, ashamed before all men so that that exchange could take place, that he was stripped of all of it so that you and I who believe on him could be clothed in righteousness could be clothed in his glory, could be clothed in his holiness. As a song was written years ago that said, for we stand like Abraham in our robes of righteousness. Faith has dressed us in holiness. Bless ye the Lord. Next Sunday, in part two of this, my beautiful wife is going to preach. And she, is, she has got some really good things to share with you in this, in this series, The Ten Commandments of Ignorance. So let's stand together this morning as we dismiss how important it is. Never forget, don't be ignorant of how important it is and how vital and necessary it is to your life as believers to gather together in regular fellowship and to not be ignorant of God's righteousness. There's only one way to have it, to receive it by faith. Amen. Can we just, every head bowed for just a moment, if we could just pray. I, I, I just want to invite you today. If you're here today with us and, and um, maybe you found yourself being a bit religious and not, not really experiencing a real relationship with God, you've gotten into that trap of trying to make yourself presentable to God through your own efforts, through your good works, through whatever it may be, through a guilty conscience. Let me just help set your mind at ease today. I want to invite you to just... Lay all that aside and receive the knowledge of this truth. Christ died for your sins. They buried Jesus in a tomb and God raised him from the dead three days later. All you have to do is accept that he did it for you. You know, it's one thing to know that he did it for the world. But hey, you're in this world. And if he did it for the world, that means he did it for you. He died for you. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Eric, I, I don't have a real relationship with God. I'm empty but I want to know him today. I want him to come into my life. I want him to save me. I want his forgiveness. 
I want him to be with me in my life. If, if that's anybody here, just where, just where you're standing, if you'll just slip up your hand, I want to pray for you. It's this simple. Today, you can have all the security in God. You can know that even when you finally close your eyes and sleep the sleep of death, that you will immediately and instantaneously be in his presence. Is that you today? Maybe you're away from God. You're far from God. You don't know him, but you want to receive Jesus today into your heart. Is that you? Maybe, or maybe you're just, you know him, but you're, you're not walking with him. You haven't been submitting your life to him in, in, in a daily surrender and choosing to follow him. You've chose at one time, but really you've just been living life for yourself, kind of a selfish existence. But today, you want to just come back to your father. Is that you today? Let me just raise your hand and I will just pray with you right where you are. Anyone here? Hey, Pastor Eric, I just need to take a new step in God today. I, I, want, to, I want to put a drive down a stake here and say, I'm, I'm not going to go that way anymore. I'm going to change my mind and go with God with everything that's in me. Father, thank you for all of these here today, God. Thank you, Lord, for my wonderful family. And Lord, however that you are speaking to hearts, I think that your word is alive and it's a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. You know exactly what every person in this room needs, what they need to hear, what they need to change. Lord, what will encourage them and inspire them? What will give them hope? Thank you, Lord, that you love us so much that you are so thoroughly interested in us in that way. Bless all these here today. Bless them, God, with great grace and peace, and it will be multiplied to them from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, that love would abound. Love would abound here amongst them, here in this church, in their families, God, and wherever they go, that your people, as Steve said this morning, will be bold in their testimony, bold to share this great love, to share of this great salvation, this great love with which God loved us, that he gave us everything when he gave us his son. In the mighty name of Jesus, thank you for that. Thank you that bodies are healed even today in this moment. Those that have been fighting sickness, God, flu symptoms, colds, all the stuff that's been in the air, Father, I just pray right now, God, that that stuff would be shaken from their bodies in Jesus' name, fully removed, and that healing would invade their very essence of their being. Every tissue, every cell, and every fiber of their being, it would function at peak proficiency in the name of Jesus. Their immune system would be strong in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, right now that pain is leaving their bodies even now. Those with headaches, backaches, body aches, that pain is dissipating because He carried our pains. He bore our sickness and disease. If He did it, that means it's not on us to do it anymore, but to fully identify with His stripes that healed us. So we thank you, Jesus, for that, that covenant of healing in the name of Jesus. <clears throat> one, 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 one more thing I feel the Lord is emphasizing before I'm dismissed. There, Lord, I thank you right now for healing marriages. There are some here that are in desperate need of help, and they have pretty much, by looking at their situation, has thrown in the towel and just thought, I guess it's never going to change. I guess this can't be fixed. Maybe I've, I've said, gone too far. I've said too much stuff. Let me encourage you today. The Lord is here telling you it's not over. It's not hopeless. Let me help you. He's wanting to intervene in your situation right now, in your marriage right now. He is a healing God, and he can do one more in one instance than a weeks and weeks of counseling will do. 
but he needs you to say, yeah, Lord, help us. Invite him in your life. Invite him into your situation. Let him show you what he can do. It will bless you abundantly. Amen, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.